All right, welcome back, Art World. We are here coming to you from Tag Gallery in Los Angeles. Across from me, my girl, Miss Art World. What's up, everybody? And we have a very special guest, Kay Ryan Hennessy. Hi, everyone. I'm super <laughs> excited to be here because I've like been binging the episodes. <laughs> it's my new favorite thing. You're my new favorite person, so <laughs> we have a lot in common. <laughs> Hennessy. Hennessy. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Really just like the cognac for any of our drinkers out there. Love um, it. But spelled <laughs> completely differently because actually we're not Irish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Except on St. Patty's. <laughs> Turns out we're German and um, Ellis Island just botched our name. <laughs> well, there you go. Damn it, Ellis. <laughs> um, but the fun part is we have this whole family mythology about being super Irish. Yeah. Not true. <laughs> I love that. You have to commit to it. <laughs> that is great. Um, Ryan's amazing. He's an artist. Thank you. Um, I actually, so Ryan and I met when um, I joined my first crit group with the Los Angeles Art Association. And Ryan was our, what would you say, mediator or... I think they, the technical term for mm-hmm. 825 is moderators. Moderator. Crit moderators. Ooh, mm-hmm. fancy. Um, largely because our role is to ensure that the meetings are <laughs> kind and cohesive. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they were. I was so impressed with you and the way oh, that you, you. Um, handled everyone's crit and what you had to say about each um, artist. It was just so... I was super impressed. I have high respect for you as an artist and as a um, critiquer. Thank you. The um, I really wanted with the with my critiques that I led, um, which I think that was the third one I was part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had participated in two, um, and I think actually that one was like concurrent with the second. I did two at one time for half a year. Oh wow! It was like pretty intense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really wanted uh, one of. The, one of my groups was really great and I loved the experience and the other was good um, but there were some prickly parts right um, that that made me question you know what do I really like this um, and it turns out I love it uh, I just I just wanted something that was much more like what you would get in a graduate school program mm-hmm. right and I, I I wanted to echo what I got uh, in uh, literature for art because I didn't have that art foundation, right? And so now I'm building that art foundation later in life so that I have the the skills and ability to speak and to participate in the same way that I do with writing and communications. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I, for me, I, I wanted a, a groundwork that was nice and kind, um, but that also was collaborative in we're going to help each other become better artists. We're going to point out the things that might um, enhance or increase your work. Like those are, I'm, I'm more about additive criticism rather, rather than subtractive criticism. Yeah. Um, by and large. <laughs> Was I in the prickly group? Um, no, 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 no. The, my not led groups. The, oh, okay, yeah, no. got it. And in fact, <laughs> I was I've, like, oh no. No, no. I've I've loved all of my groups. I've thought they've been um, super wonderful. Uh, I'm starting my third one wow. now this mm-hmm. next month, 
Um, and in fact, I love crits so much that I'm doing, so I'm doing my third uh, 825, uh, the LAAA, that's Los Angeles Art Association for all of you Perfect. who don't know. <laughs> They're actively screening for members for those of you who are um, uh, emerging artists who are interested in showing uh, and becoming members of crit groups. Uh, 825 is about $300 a year. It's a great opportunity for artists in Los Angeles. Um, the uh, So I'm doing that. Um, I'm leading a small group. There's a, a handful of us tag artists that are going to do the same format with each other uh, for half of the year as well. And I'm considering after my May show, which we'll talk about later. Yes. <laughs> the, oh, shameless plug. <laughs> We're all about this. Yeah, we live for them. Yes, I know. I listen. <laughs> The, the only thing I haven't done is match the uh, um, the ratings button, which I need to Breaking do. Breaking my heart. I need to do that one. We brought you a but sticker and everything. I did I did hit subscribe. That's nice. Like, That's right huge. away. Thank I was you. like, this. The, the first episode, I was like, this is really entertaining and amazing. <laughs> Listening. Love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so uh, 825, great place. Don't know where my thoughts were going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a question with your crit groups. Are a lot of the members um, like MFA graduates or BFA? And how do um, those people who have graduated with a fine arts degree, um, I would imagine they handle criticism a lot better than someone who doesn't have a formal degree. Um, can you touch on that at all? Yes, absolutely. So um, I have a couple of rules okay. in the crit groups, and I, I, I like to keep my rules to a minimum. Um, I, I, my early career was in um, elementary public school education, so and the general cool. rule there is um, no more than five rules because they're kids and they yeah. can only remember a handful of things. Um, and I find that's true for adults. Yeah. <laughs> so lifelong lessons. <laughs> Only pretty much everything I needed to learn about life, I learned teaching small children. <laughs> uh, so um, the one of my rules is you are not allowed to say I didn't go to art school. Okay. Um, because that doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. What matters is your reaction to the art how you're reading the art, um, and the language that you use to express that is the language that's authentic to you. So if you're somebody who has a graduate background, whether that's in fine art, like Miss Art World, or whether that's in literature, like me, um, or whether that's in engineering mm -hmm. or architecture or design, um, which has been the gamut for those who have been educated in the groups, um, you have high level um, diction to, to talk about art. Um, and then there are those who are self-taught artists who, you know, maybe uh, did a little bit of community college um, and really don't have any language to talk about art, really don't even have the language um, to talk about the medium they're working in. They're just really experimenting. Uh, and, but I think both of those perspectives are good, right? Because there's an innocence in those who are experimental. Um, and also a, a bit of creativity uh, that doesn't always exist in those of us that think too much about what we're doing, yeah. <laughs> right? Like there's always this, this kind of dichotomy between the creative and the analytic. Um, and it's, it's, I find it's a really nice balance to have a range of experiences. And I find that's true in life, right? Like I'd, I'd rather work uh, in a room full of people with diverse backgrounds 
um, than in a room full of people who look and sound exactly like me. Like if we all sound yeah. the same, mm-hmm. we're going to do the same thing and that's not really going to help us grow, earn more money, um, take over the world, like whatever it is that's on our agenda. <laughs> yeah. I think that's incredible and it's good to know because I always imagined hearing about the crit groups that you were so driven to them because of your experience at Pratt. Yeah, I was that looking for something that I, would, I could re-get out of having left the MFA program, I wanted the crit group again because yeah. that was so valuable in and I, the program. Yeah. It would be hard for someone who hadn't been a part of something like that to initially come in, and I could imagine some artists being fearful of taking the critiques, but it's good to know that it is so open to everyone and all artists. And, and But I, I will say um, leadership plays, a, the moderator plays a big role in it. Uh, the group that you're in plays a big role in it. Um, I've had a few conversations with artists who have had very horrible crit experiences um, for a number of reasons. You know, they, they had a personally hard crit for their art, um, which happens, and I've given them. Um, and, you know, it's hard to give them uh, as well. The, uh, just as much as it's hard to hear things that you don't necessarily want to hear about your work, um, which I run into myself, right? Like, um, um, when I do something like the work that downstairs, which is very uh, gay men, queer, online focus, right? Niche, niche, niche. <laughs> the, the, your general, um, you know, uh, 40 plus um, uh, artist who's not tackling queer issues doesn't necessarily understand what they're looking at or have language to respond to it. Um, or in some ways may think that they're looking at pornography and not art. Um, and, you know, that's a very hard line for a lot of people uh, when it comes to speaking about art, to interacting with art. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I think the really big takeaway is what you've mentioned in previous episodes, is that, that if you want to grow your own practice, you have to take feedback. Um, and some of it's not going to be great. Um, a lot of it will be, right? And it, I find that the more you build on feedback that you get and also feedback that you give, um, the smarter you become. Uh, I actually feel that the, I get more from the crits that aren't about my work than I do from the ones that are. Um, because it makes me think about art in ways that I might not necessarily have to if I weren't seated in that space. Um, like you mentioned abstract art a couple of episodes I did. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, I love you for it because yeah. I feel the same yes. way. Okay, <laughs> like, I, I do. I, I And even when I understand um, the reason behind it, right, and, and I can point to masters with this, right, Rothko, who the idea is the immersion in in color and that spiritual reaction that you're getting from the massiveness of the piece. Um, It still looks like pain to me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I get it. I get the concept, but I don't necessarily want to live with that. Um, But I do want to live with beautiful things that challenge me to think um, in other ways, right? And so... It's interesting because then when I I look at a Pollock, I actually don't find those pleasing, like aesthetically at all. I find them dark, a little bit gray and dismal. 
Um, and do you know what uh, Pollock is? I was getting there. No. <laughs> <laughs> do you know Thank what a you. Rothko is? No. Okay. I was gonna let him finish his statement and then be like, "So let's break this down." <laughs> and there I am on my privilege box. Um, so uh, Pollock's the very famous splatter painter. Oh um, yes. yes. Okay, have heard. Yeah. Um, and the the. When I think about the concept behind it, that he's doing these in-the-moment throws and that it's about movement and it's about the capture of movement in different ways, conceptually, I really, really like what he's doing. And it makes me enjoy the work even more, Um, especially when you get to some of the beautiful, massive ones in the museums. Um, But it's only the concept that makes me move into understanding it in an aesthetic way. Um, It's not the actual work itself. And that's generally the reaction I have to abstract works in that style, right? Because in in many ways, I'm an abstract artist. Um, In the, I play with figures and I break them apart and I'm I'm working in kind of a a postmodern, queerist, like, right, I'm, I'm thinking about the parts for the whole. I'm breaking things. I'm shattering things. Um, uh, so I'm abstracting the human form. But then right? you're bringing it back together. And, and, and to me, art is very story-driven, right? So it, it's less abstracted than when we get into these concepts of throws or paint or <laughs> um, feeling, right? Like, like... The artist is conveying anger through the color red, right? And there are works that are just like, I'm a big block of red to make you feel angry. And it works. That's what they're supposed to do. I'm just not that kind of artist, right? I'm I'm much more of a figurative, um, literal, um, even though I like to work in a very, very um, queerist, postmodern driven way. Right, and again, that's privilege box right there. <laughs> um, and I'll throw out some names like Derrida and, <laughs> and Foucault. <laughs> and we just lost all of the audience. <laughs> we could post them. It's a journey. <laughs> um, these are our big uh, postmodern and queer theory thinkers from the last century. Uh, so philosophers. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the the I I very much like to ground my work and the way I think about work in those things that matter to me and the things that really matter to me are mythology, um, queering, um, queer theory, uh, and how we reconstructed ourselves. And in a post postmodern world, right? Um, and postmodernism is about uh, the the um, the meaninglessness of existence. <laughs> it's the yeah. idea that um, things don't necessarily represent um, or are what they say they are. So um, it, we have a door. Um, and a door is a physical thing that exists over here, but a door is also the word that is echoing out of my mouth. A door is also the written language for the word door. A door is also that symbol that we see everywhere um, that shows us that we can exit out with, with the green sign, right? Um, so postmodernist says 
all of these things are the same thing at one time and they are all meaningless, right? And so how did we reconstruct ourselves back after that? And I think there's something really special about the very specific queer experiences that exist today that forces you to live in a post-postmodern way. You have to reconstruct your broken parts because I had to stop being part of the mainstream culture in order to be part of who I am, right? Had to break in order to reform. And that's kind of why the figures, right, that I work with now are all broken and patterned part for the whole. Um, I love that so much. <laughs> but, so I want to go more into your artwork, but before we do, um, you said you had five roles in critiques. Oh, I, I had five rules in um, um, public ed for, okay. for little kids. Um, really, the essential rules for critiques are nothing is interesting, so don't say that. Okay. Rule number one, nothing. If you it really, um, it's interesting. That is the cop-out answer. Never say it That's in good. an art this space. This is good. <laughs> Conceptually. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> And then, um, you know, if you can work in the uh, Italian there for the way that light blinks off oh, of a form, uh, go ahead and do that. The chiaroscuro. <laughs> well played. Thank you. Her parents made me practice it for like 20 minutes before, before we went to his show. Nice. And her dad's like, are you going to use it yet? Are you going to use it? And I was like, not yet. That's a reference to episode six for yes. all of you listening. <laughs> Seriously, my favorite thing. <laughs> so oh great. So no, no, don't say something's interesting. Oh, yes. Don't say something's interesting. That, and then the second rule, which I think is the most important, is it doesn't matter whether you went to art school, so you don't need to tell us. Okay. Um, and those are really the big takeaways. Um, the, another really high up there kind of thing that you always want to think about in the critique is what you've pointed out in the last few episodes is that you have to sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the compliment sandwich. <laughs> My fave. It is all about say something nice. Say something critical, but and critically positive, right? Yeah. Um, saying I don't like it is not uh, like that's against the rules. Um, it, it, it must have some value um, if you're going to provide criticism. Uh, and so, what I always say in our initial meeting is that if you don't like something before you get to the point where you're expressing that to us, you have to answer this question yourself: Why don't I like it? And once you can answer that, then you can start to criticize. Um, and, uh, you know, a, a great example is, um, say, you, uh, uh, form is always something that I fall back on, right? And it's always, for me, it's the easiest thing to talk about first, because form is what's actually there, <laughs> right? So uh, I can talk about the um, quality of the line, I can talk about the uh, hue, the color, the shading, the tonality. Um, I can talk about dimensionality. Those are all physical uh, pieces of an artwork um, that are actually represented. I can talk about, for performance art, I can talk about movement. I can talk about um, sound. I can talk about uh, the appearance, right? Uh, the, the costuming. Um, all of these things are the formal aspects. Um, before I even get to the reactive parts, 
right? And that's where I like to start. Because I find that if there's a problem with form, um, that's where there's a problem with reaction, right? Um, uh, the If you're trying to represent the moon, um, but it looks like a block of cheese, right? People aren't going to understand that you're representing something romantic and glowing. Mm. They're going to think about mice and yeah. cheese. Right? It's really like the form, what is there, is essential to understanding um, really your own reaction uh, to the piece. And so it's just a place I like to start from. It's And that's, this is literature training. Um, <laughs> like I had a very... Uh, so I went to um, Cal State Bakersfield. Are you serious? Um, yeah. No I did not know that. Wait, when did you go? Uh, well, I went to the satellite campus in Lancaster. Okay. I actually only attended um, a, a one uh, like symposium mm-hmm. um, on the main campus in Bakersfield, and then I went once to take my uh, <laughs> my like final exam. Oh um, and and those were the only two times that I actually went to the main campus. Um, interestingly, I had a very, um, tough, uh, uh, robust, um, tight and, um, uh, very, very, uh, rich, um, education in my department. Um, I think there were about, uh, 30 of us over both campuses. Um, we all were pretty close with each other, uh, and, and, for the most part, had very great professors who had high expectations on discipline for us. Um, most of my peerage now are Ivy Leaguers, and they're constantly like, how do you know all this stuff? Or how do you remember yeah. these things? And it really just goes to that that very tight, small group um, education model. And which that was literature? Me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, I, I did my... Um, my undergrad and my grad there, uh, and and really the MA program for literature was was superb. Um, really, really great teachers. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> um, and and also I uh, just since I'm down this segue, <laughs> um, the the you all have talked about um, how creativity is really essential for um, what people are looking for in the workplace right now. Um, and as we think about automation in a, a real-world aspect, um, it's the, the, the one thing automation can't do is creativity. Um, and, and I have a very nice, um, cool position for a major corporation. Um, you know, I have this whole giant career over here, and the thing that drives that is my creativity. And I put my art forward in job interviews, um, I, I like my uh, writing sample to get into my previous job before the role I'm in now um, was my artist statement for a piece of work. Wow. Yeah. And it, I, I'm pretty sure it's what made me stand out. Yeah. That's Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Well, especially yeah. among resume after resume after resume yeah. to see this passionate statement. Yeah. I mean, and it, how can you not stand out to With a piece of really powerful artwork. Powerful it, artwork. Right? Yes. Like yeah. Artwork, then this, you know, 1500 word artist statement yeah. on the impact of it. Um, yeah, no, I, it, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm going to choose something super impactful instead of something that was just like a work process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Same. I love it so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. So when you were going to school for literature, 
Um, were you thinking you wanted to be a writer or? Oh, so um, growing up, uh, the question was always, Ryan, what do you want to be? Uh, and I always wanted to be an artist. Uh, but my family's expectations were that I either had to define how I could use an art degree in a very practical, real-world way, or, um, and teaching art was not acceptable because that was too competitive of a field, which you all talked about, too. <laughs> what, what did your parents do? Um, my parents uh, owned their own businesses. My mom was a draftsman while I was growing up, um, which is, uh, she drew the plans for houses. Okay. Uh, and then uh, my dad still um, owns and operates his own business. He's an electrical contractor, um, mostly does uh, commercial work, okay. um, billboard signs, uh, big event shows, that type of thing. Very cool. Um, the, uh, but my grandparents all have degrees. Um, so my parents skipped the degrees and did more trades uh, work um, and found a lot of joy in that um, and entrepreneurism. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but I always had an expectation that I'd go to college. Um, on my mom's side of the family, I'm the oldest of all the kids um, from, from my generation. Um, so there was never a question. It was, you'll go to college, you'll have an advanced degree, you're going to get a real career, da 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 so, and, and an art degree was not um, considered appropriate. Um, the interesting thing, right, is how is literature appropriate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine there's uh, <laughs> some similar questions to be asked at the end of that so, degree. <laughs> um, but the thing with a literature degree is that um, it's really salable. Um, there are a lot of, of career fields that you can move into with a degree in literature. And in fact, since, um, uh, since the time I've been uh, in grad school, a degree in literature has been in the top 10 most desired degrees, um, which they, is actually ranked um, by the, the jobs that are given, right, wow. um, over the year. Uh, so it, it's it, it's been highly ranked um, at least three years since I've graduated high school in the top ten. That's it's uh, so interesting. Right. That. Mm -hmm. um, and and it really was a much more salable degree because with it I could say, well, I can do this. I can I, I can go and teach elementary school. I can go and teach high school. I can go and teach um, at a community college. So I have three levels of teaching, and they're not competitive as competitive as art. Right, because if you always need an English teacher, always. Um, the uh, the other side of it is in, in corporate world, everything is run by internal communications. Right, if you don't have somebody who's actually drafting the memos that go out to everyone, you've got some pretty janky yeah. memos. <laughs> um, so where do you fall in the Oxford comma? <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> it's essential, by the way. <laughs> legally essential. <laughs> the, uh, so, uh, and, and then there were other avenues that you could follow as well. Like it, it, it segues itself well to um, library studies. So with a little bit more uh, education, I, I could easily have transitioned in that direction. Um, it's highly sought after in um, technical fields. A lot of my peerage went to go work for aerospace. Wow. Um, and they make tons of money um, managing contracts because they understand like language. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in fact, the way I transitioned out of education is I used the um, local union 
uh, as a springboard uh, to really beef up my um, communications and uh, public relations skills. Uh, and I transferred that then into a job working for a small startup company, which was a really great experience. Uh, and then transitioned from that small startup into a major ho- household brand. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and really it all ties back to um, understanding the degree that I had, right? Understanding the, the tools that I had in my belt. Um, and then applying the creative want and drive um, that really feeds me. Uh, and so I went from teaching, which I, I thought was going to be a very um, constantly creative experience and instead becomes a, a kind of cyclical, at least for me it did. Mm. Um, the, whereas uh, now I work full time um, on imagery and content, right? Uh, so like I'm, I, I go to work and I work in a creative way and I come home and I get to express myself in a creative way as well. And it's just like this constantly feeding um, loop of inspiration. Right. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a different type of creativity, which I oh, think yes. is yeah. nice. Where you don't get burnt out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. And, and it, I, it's nice to think that I can make money in various creative ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I can be successful in various creative ways. And I find that the skills in one place really echo over into the other. So um, for me, uh, understanding that watercolor takes layering and patience applies to understanding that bureaucracy inside of a large organization takes layering and patience. That's quite the tie in. But in the same way, the organizational skills that I use in the corporate sector, um, and I say this to all artists and all emerging artists, this is really important to understand. If you can take organizational skills to your practice and to how you present yourself, you are in the top 10% of all practicing artists today. Right. So basically the number one reason, I mean, I'm going to laud myself a little and say I have some nice technical skills and and I I make some cool artwork and people respond well to it. So I'll say I make good art, which helps. (laughs) Definitely you do. (laughs) The, uh, but, but what really gets me, um, into shows, what makes me successful as an artist um, above other artists, right? Because everybody really makes pretty cool stuff when you stop and think about it. What makes me stand out is that I can talk about it, I can write about it, um, I can fill out a form on time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I I understand that there's a budget for um, fees, uh, and when I reach my budget, I'm done submitting fees for the month. Um, and when you're a beginning artist and you can afford $25 a month, then maybe you only apply every other month to one show. Uh, and when you're a little more established and your budget expands to a couple hundred dollars a month, I don't want to think about it, um, you apply to a lot more shows. Yeah. Um, and you start thinking about how you'll exhibit differently. Um, for me, becoming a, a member artist here at TAG, 
it's a financial and a time commitment. We're a cooperative. We work together. Um, you know, you're you're buying into the ownership of a gallery, right? I'm I'm one part of the what makes this space here run, um, and there's a responsibility that goes with that. Um, so I try to to keep that in perspective. And when I moved my budgeting in that direction, I cut a little bit from my uh, budgeting for, for show calls. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the Converse side, I get a show, solo show here every year, and I get a piece of work uh, in the group show every month. So I'm guaranteed the exhibition of at least one artwork in my buy-in for this space. Um, again, it's that organization, it's budgeting, it's, like, it's taking all these analytic like boring real world <laughs> skills. <laughs> You're running a small business. You really are Absolutely. by yourself. Absolutely yes. by yourself, which by the way you need to get your tax ID. <laughs> <laughs> you need to either either get uh, an annual insurance or um, pay when you have an event. Um, you know, again, work what's in your budget. And these aren't great big fees. Um, but if you're really trying to be serious about your your art and um, making money with your art or even just, you know, uh, keeping it legal, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, the important thing is to really uh, follow those rules, understand where you fit, um, and make sure that your, your I's are dotted, your T's are crossed, and really just, like, fill out the form on time. Top 10%. Yep. Well, I I just think even, I know we talk, have talked in the past about uh, the hierarchy of arts Mm -hmm. and um, like, I don't know, where do musicians fall? Bottom? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but like I've commissioned artists before um, for events and musicians, um, but if they can't give me a W9 on time. Yeah, yeah. They're not getting the job. Right. I need literally a contract. literally how you get paid. It's how you get, like, all <laughs> yeah. I want to do is pay you. Yeah. And if you can't do that, I'm not going to hire you again. And it's amazing how many people d- won't send it in. Yeah. And I'm like, don't you want money? Yeah. And it just doesn't look good. And I mean, everyone's so interconnected these days. And there's so many people out there. Yeah. That's just be organized and... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, One what? of the things I hear um, a lot about, especially from from new artists and emerging artists, is how difficult the fee structure is for them. Um, and and I'll give it's it's expensive to be an artist. Um, this is even if you are in the uh, fair market, you're still talking about a luxury item. Yes. This is a this is a optional, non essential. <laughs> <laughs> Just makes life prettier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Item. Um, and so, you know, there, I don't think it's it's on anyone to take ownership of how others should spend their money. Um, but it is, it is fair to think about how you spend your own money, right? And how you're going to work with your own money. And I think that, that understanding that galleries have to do that too, Right. They are businesses, and part of the way that galleries uh, stay afloat and make money is to do an artist call. And those fees are big money makers for the galleries. Not money makers in they're going home with these big fat profits. They're money makers in they get to run, mm-hmm. right? They get to be yeah. a space that art they exists. Get to have a show, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and it's it's really great on both ends because if you're an artist and you're listing show credits. 
you're just gaining more and more experience and people are going to take you more seriously. Um, you know, I again, I'm going to break my own rule here. I didn't go to art school. <laughs> so I had no connections when I was That was starting. rule number one. I know. <laughs> but art has no rules from what I've heard. So. Well, okay, so this, I love, I love that you said it because this is one of my favorite things yeah. because... Um, I actually totally disagree with you guys on this. I think I art, love that you disagree with yeah, us. That's what's fun. I, Give us it. So, so I feel that art is defined by its rules, right? And I feel I that agree rules, with you too. <laughs> I feel I feel that rules and constrictions are what make art um, challenge us, right? Um, when an artist, when when a photographer says, "I'm only going to show you things in black and white." They're making a choice to limit themselves, right? And when, when, when the artist creates the rules or when society creates a rule and you find a way to still mm-hmm. project your meaning within that structure, oof, like to me, that's fine art, right? <laughs> yeah. when, art, when art affects culture, right? When it responds to the human experience, to me, those are the finest of fine arts, right? Um, and, and that's what makes uh, some theater supreme right that's what makes the best picture right for movies that's what defines a great master for a painter um or or the um, master ballerina or the master choreographer um i i I think that um you know the word fine throws us off a lot because it creates this idea that fine art then is the top of the hierarchy yeah when really if we define art as um and, and not everyone will agree with me on this, and <laughs> they shouldn't. Um, but when you define art as capturing the essence of a fragment of the human experience, right? When it becomes a cathartic element, when it tells the story of why we exist, that's to me. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what we want to hit. <laughs> it's so interesting. And I... I've, when we when we've talked about art having no rules, it's very interesting when the artist starts making their own rules because mm-hmm. I have my rules yeah. that I cannot break, but I'm the one that have has given me those rules, and so I agree with you that there, it's, but then creativity like you should be able to explore enough without rules to make your own rules. I don't know. It's lovely. And I'm torn because honestly, <laughs> as the novice innocent person here, all I have heard are rules. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's a hierarchy. This gallery space isn't classic. <laughs> you know? Um, I asked someone, I, you, the other day, <laughs> what makes this bad art? It's been done before. And I'm like, mm, mm, I'm like, wait, oh. Wait, wait, wait. I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I hit it. So in uh, this is very close to what we had in grad school, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, and, and when we talk about the featured artist later, um, he, he really hits this for me in all places. In order to be meaningful, right? Art has to be clear, unique, concise, and argumentative, right? Rules. Rules, <laughs> totally right. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. 
and but but it's those rules where artists find success, yeah, right? And absolutely. so when when I first started um, both doing the critique groups and going to individual crits, so, so I would pay um, experts, right, to look at my work and to give me feedback on my work. Um, they a lot of my early feedback first two years was beautiful, technical, great, wonderful, pick a path, right? And I was like, why do I have to pick a path? I'm an artist. I shouldn't have any rules. I can do all of these things. Like, why do I have to be limited yeah. to watercolor if I can also paint with acrylics, if I'm also a collage artist, if I'm also doing sculpture and assemblage and blah, blah, blah. Well, the reality is, in order for a gallery to understand you, in order for a collector to understand you, in order really for any audience to understand you, you have to be really, really clear and concise with your overall artistic voice, right? And so rather, like my trick is, well, fine, I'm gonna play with all my mediums, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's totally my trick. I'm gonna play across all these different mediums, but I'm gonna do the same type of form, right? That's so my smart. Because yeah. I like I get a little bored. I don't want to paint every week. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> I want to cut paper. Yeah. I want to. <laughs> I want to glue and, and spend hours sticking gold foil down because, like Andrew, I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the fun thing about graphite? <laughs> um, so yeah, I I think that an artist has to define themselves how they fit within the rules and parameters but you have to be aware of those rules and parameters and they're different for different spaces right my goal as an artist is I, I want to be in exhibitions I want to be in museums those are the type of shows that I aim for they're the type of shows that I put in for um, major institution exhibits uh, you know that that's really the level that I shoot at um, which uh, and for those of you who are emerging artists, that means that you're um, you're going into things at a price point of like fifty, sometimes seventy five dollars for a show entry point, right? These are are high level institutions, and they want high level artists. And part of their process to to weed out and 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 narrow down the competition that they're going to receive is to up that entry price. Um, and it, it just shows your level of commitment. If you're willing to sacrifice $75 to be in the Smithsonian for a month, um, you know, that's a decision you have to make. Uh, and I would say that that's probably a $75 well spent, even if you don't get in. Mm -hmm. Because that juror looked at your work. Absolutely. Yes. Even if you're not picked, somebody with a big name saw your piece. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hard sell. Sorry, guys. Yeah. It's expensive. <laughs> it really is. This is fascinating. Very expensive. I had no idea you could apply to be in like the Smithsonian. Uh, when they do calls like that, okay. yeah, for sure. That's incredible. Um, the the last big one I saw was a few years ago, and it was um, it was when they were doing trying to decide who would become the portrait artist for the president. Um, and so that call was for portrait artists. M many people submitted the portraits then became an exhi ex exhibit in the Smithsonian Museum. Uh, and the winners, of course, are the ones who were chosen to do Obama and Michelle. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. This is why Tyler put me on a budget. 
Yes. Because I could justify any call. Yeah. Like, well, oh, yeah. This well. call is very important. <laughs> I must enter yes. my thesis. Yeah. But they can be very expensive. Very and expensive. you can not get into yeah. some of them. And and then it gets even more dangerous because there are really important calls that are international that are expensive. So $75, 100 yeah. $125 entry fees. Um, and then if you get it, you have to ship your artwork to Japan. Yeah. Yes. Or Italy. Or <laughs> Norway. I did my... And that's at your cost. Yes. <laughs> I did... And it ha- you have to prepay shipping return. <laughs> yeah. I did one um, for like Pennsylvania. It was yeah. a random gallery. And it was $400 mm-hmm. one Whoa. way, $400 back. That's insane. Yeah. So expensive. You could have flown it out there. I should have just yeah. gone for a little away. trip. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when I look at and and I've really kept myself limited to California. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've had things that have exhibited out of state, they've all been prints, um, and and generally the institution has reprinted them. Um, it, it's just not. I don't answer calls out of state okay. at this point, um, largely because it's just not within my budget structure. Like, I, and that's defined for yeah. me. Um, however. Right, I, I get to reevaluate, and I have a nice career, yeah. and I've been reevaluating. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and in the future, I've got I, I have a bit much in my plate this year, mm. but in the future, I will be looking at solo show opportunities uh, around the United States. And the way I'm looking at budgeting that is that I will U-Haul my artworks yeah, myself. Absolutely. And, and I think that that cost point will end up being the same cost point as shipping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's going to be limited to solo show or, or you know, a, a full room mm-hmm. exhibit, not a single artwork exhibit. Uh-huh. Because you have a series that you absolutely. have developed yeah. that yeah. is yeah. meant to be together. Yes. And yeah. I think a lot of artists, they have to wait until they get to that point. Because right. it takes a lot of development to make a series that is strong enough to be in, to yeah. have a solo show. Totally. And I'll, I'll say I'm super prolific. I make a lot of art. Um, I, I don't show half of what I make. Um, and there have been times where I've spent a month on a piece and I step back from it and say, yep, that's being rolled up and no one's ever going to see it and we're going to do it again because it's wrong. Um, there's a lot of failure in art. <laughs> Thick skin. Yeah. Um, and, but really it's a learning experience too, right? When you, can, when you can be really critical about your own work, right? And you can step back from it and say, you know what? This really is not representative of me. This is not representative of, of what I want to say, right? And you can fold something up or you can throw it away, right? Super powerful. Or you can even, like um, the story you told about the boy who ripped up his paintings mm. after his bad critique, right? Um, horrible, devastating in the moment. Yeah. I love that he reformed it into something else. Mm-hmm. Right, work yeah. through that. It was really on the work wall. through it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and you have to like my big piece from my solo show last September. Um, huge, beautiful. It's it's like ninety three inches long. Right. Um, I spent 
six weeks on that. It's the longest I've ever spent on a single piece of work. I worked on it every day. Um, and when you get about a third way through something that size, you've reached the point of no return. So you're literally at the don't fuck it up moment. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yikes, right? So I spent I spent like four weeks in uh, utter turmoil that I was going to ruin this yeah. piece. <laughs> <laughs> framed it immediately (laughs) Uh, and and you know it was uh, when I made it there's a whole piece that precursor piece to it that you'll never see no one else will ever see Um, I don't know why I'm keeping it because it does not bring me joy I need to Marie Kondo that out of my life (laughs) but it did inform that really, and, and that masterwork is, it gets a lot of interest um, from from people, especially interest from those people trying to scam me out of my own money. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's big and it's a high price yeah. point, so it's a good, it's a good scam yeah. spot, but, you know, I know how to spot those guys, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Awesome. So, we're... So- 48 minutes into this podcast, and we have so many and things I want to And we have not hit. even touched on your artwork. Wait, but before we get into the artwork, we lightly touched on tag. Yes. Oh, yeah. And can we dive into that a little yeah, bit more? Because this is a totally really unique gallery space, and yeah. Um, yeah, we're you in... have a big position. Oh, thank you. Yes. So... Um, today, in fact, um, and it... It has not been announced yet to the the general membership, but it will be soon. Um, but I don't think. You, you want know. us to hold off on that? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. no. I don't. I don't think that that's a big deal. Um, but when the current president uh, finishes her term, which she plans to finish uh, soon, uh, I will become co-president with another artist, Tom Wheeler, who's a wonderful photographer and member artist for Tag. Um, which is yes, a, quite a, a big role. Incredible! And I'm excited Congratulations! For it. Thank you. Um, and yeah, we're an interesting um, entity in ourselves. We're uh, we're a really old organization, over thirty years. Wow! Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, um, which is kind of incredible to think about. That's amazing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yes. Um, the uh, uh, there are forty member artists uh, capped. Um, we currently have three positions open. Um, they have to be applied for. You're voted on by the entire membership. Um, membership dues are about three thousand uh, dollars, and that largely goes to operational costs for keeping the gallery open and running. Um, although uh, that's a big part of our um, uh, budget, uh, sales and events make up uh, the other like large part of our budget. Um, so we are a selling gallery. We we do budget a, a good amount um, in sales monthly. Um, and you know that goes up and down mm-hmm. like everybody. So we'll have months with with um, you know, we've had months with upwards of twenty thirty thousand dollars in sales, oh, and wow. then you have months where you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, but but we do move artwork. Um, the I I find that um, understanding the audience is a big part in in gallery ship um, and and being a um, uh, an artist in a specific place, right? Uh, and there's been a little bit of a transition between the Santa Monica audience that the gallery used to have three years ago and the um, Miracle Mile audience that they have now. 
Um, but I, I'd say, like, um, we see a lot of good movement uh, in the 250 to $750 price point for art. Um, and But we'll see things move. I mean, we've moved pieces that are uh, over $10,000. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a um, it's an interesting space. We have very serious, um, established, gallery represented, um, uh, MFA level artists um, to um, self taught emerging artists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of our artists on display right now. Uh, this is his first solo show ever. Um, my solo show in September was my first solo show. Uh, was here. Um, so even though I've been, I, like, I have a laundry list of yeah. exhibitions. Um, <laughs> it blows it my mind that that time. was your yeah. first solo yeah. show. Yeah. And really, I'll say that that um, th- my tag show uh, is what is what got me my uh, Los Angeles Art Association show. Wow. Because my submission material was my tag show. Okay. That's awesome. Like, literally was my tag yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> All ten pieces. Yeah. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> and then a description of the show that I wanted to do, which is close to what I'm going yeah. to yeah. <laughs> display. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, tag's a really interesting thing. Uh, the membership plays a big part in the direction of the gallery. Um, sales is not our mission. We're not art dealers, um, but that's part of our nonprofit structure. Uh, the um, and we're in, in we in fact work in the nonprofit world in a very niche area there as well. Um, so we're not like a five hundred one c three, for instance, which oh, okay. is the most common. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a, a if I remember it correctly a a non-profit mutual benefit organization. It is a very, very niche area of um, the nonprofit sector. Uh, And basically it allows us to have 40 owners of a business that can quit their ownership at any time without causing all of the hoopla that you would need if you had an LLC, for instance. Um, uh, but it also means that we have to operate under some nonprofit guidelines, okay. right? Um, so we have different taxations if we do have an end-of-the-year profit, which is fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and we're good citizens and pay our taxes, yeah. as, as all artists should. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, the, the artists vote on everything. Each artist gets a solo show um, over the course of the year. Uh, the membership is decided by the membership. Um, and uh, like literally send me a DM, email me, (laughs) I will hook you up with the membership committee (laughs) (laughs) if you're interested. Um, the dues are $3,000 a year and then there's a $200, um, uh, recurring, uh, hold. So it's 3,200 for active members. It's 3,500 if you're a first year member for a $500 deposit that first year. Um, but yeah, it's so cool because it's just such a true art gallery for artists run by artists curated by artists Uh, it's incredible yeah yeah and and um it's interesting we've been going through the the organization itself has been going through a very lax period in rules (laughs) there are rules that exist they're they're written out we have bylaws (laughs) (laughs) we have things that govern us and we've been a little relaxed about it which is fine um, and, and um, you know, I tend to like rules, 
And my thing about the rules is they're there because they mutually benefit all of us. And if you want to break the rules, I'm fine with that. But you need an, a, a very good reason. And not just, um, not just to defend your stance, right? But you need a reason so that the rest of us can defend your stance too. Our gallery manager needs to be able to articulate the reason that you hung... Uh, so many pieces close together on the wall. Is there is there a reason they're so close together, right? Because if there's not, well, then I'd say you're better off with a little bit more breathing space um, because less in some instances is more. Uh, the So, you know, it's it, some rules yeah. are good for you. I, I find that um, if you have 40 pieces on the wall, it's hard to see everything, yeah. right? But if you take those 40 pieces and you distill them down to 10, oh, well, now we get something that's concise. Yeah. And you know that's one of my buzzwords. <laughs> so do Love the it. artists hang their own shows? Uh, yes, or they hire someone to hang their shows okay. for them. But okay. yes, the, yeah, the artists, um, they're responsible for the curation and the hanging of their own shows. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, awesome. it, it Right. And it makes for some very interesting exhibitions. Yeah. Um, and you have things, so like my September show last year was super formal, right? Everything was a minimum distance apart from each other. Uh, everything was very uh, professionally framed, right? Like, and and the frames themselves spoke to each other in the same way that the artwork spoke to each other, right? So you'd have echoes of one style from across the room to the other. Uh, whereas another artist in the same exhibition used a very standard flat frame with a black mat, right? Very different yeah. and very not... Right? Like, yeah. mine looks like a museum room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quite but different. it does. I yeah. mean, like, that's literally what I'm going... Like, I'm the... Because I'm shooting to be exhibited in yeah. museums, I am creating works that look like they belong in museums. Yes, yeah. makes sense. And Absolutely. that's not every artist's goal. Yeah. And part of understanding that is understanding that you may be next to someone who doesn't necessarily match you. We're trying, as a group, to be better about... Uh, working with each other on cohesiveness but sometimes that doesn't always work out and if you're an artist who really has something you want to say that's in its own vein we don't want to step on your toes but you better be able to defend yourself (laughs) because I I mean we get we do get attention right we we get reviews um we not not every show gets reviews, but shoots shows do get reviews. Um, we're talked about. We're and we're an interesting gallery because you know I hear the hoopla from everybody, and so um, in many regards we're taken seriously because we're this old entity. Mm-hmm. I mean we're a proven. We 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 have an operational budget and it's pretty hardy, yeah. um, and we move art. Yeah, um, and we manage to keep thirty five to forty artists you know, happy each year. Uh, So that's something to be said. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, we have artists that are showing things that are not quite up to discipline, right? So there's this, there's this, is it a formal gallery? Is it not a formal gallery question about the tag experience? Um, and I think that that's something that will always be a little bit of a struggle as long as the artist has as much say as they have now in the establishment of their own show. 
Um, I think, and, and again, this is why I like rules, because if an artist has rules in place, uh, I think you get a better product overall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very interesting. I love this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now it is time to dive into your work. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is going to be the longest episode. <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee you. In like two minutes, it will be the longest episode. Yeah. And I, I, I love it because I've been so interested in everything I know. you have to say that I'm just like... This is the problem, I hope you're doing I mean, okay. like, And we're getting to the worst place now because like, if there's anything I could talk about forever, it is quite literally myself. As you should be able to. I mean, it's kind of why I'm an yeah. artist. <laughs> it's why I went into public education, yeah. right? I was like, this is a captive audience. Yeah. Those little kids they have, have to listen to, to, me. Listen to me. Like, it is the rule. That's why I'm <laughs> Right? You're you- listening. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, okay, you have an upcoming show on May 11th. I do. I have an upcoming show on May 11th. I'm going to do some shameless plugging. Please. Um, so I have an upcoming show on May 11th. It's titled Pantheon. Um, four of the works are in here uh, in the gallery with us right now, um, just leaning against the wall. They're not framed yet. Um, but the, the, the works are largely uh, taking the forms that I've been playing with for the last couple of years, which are human forms. I've added in some women for this show, which is a I big... Noticed I was surprised. I was very surprised when I, we saw these. It turns out there are queer women stories in mythology, <laughs> what? too. What? I know, right? <laughs> Who'd have thought? I love it. <laughs> so. um, but I was, I was surprised when we came up here and you pointed out on... Um, yeah, the Inari there is on yes. the end. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, so that was your work. And I yeah. was like, yeah. wow. Thank you. Yeah, the two ladies yeah. there on the end. Um, there's one more lady planned of the eight figures that I, I want to include. Um, all of them are gods who are have queer stories associated with them, uh, which is why I've fragmented the forms. I, I want to talk about that queer experience and the fragmenting. But also, I, I, I like the idea that, that gods aren't ever wholly formed or understandable. Um, I, I tend to think about a lot when I'm actually working on them, the idea of, of angels and cherubim and those type mm-hmm. of, of um, mythic beings, right? Those anthro- an- anthropomorphic mythic beings, right? Um, and whenever you actually go into the literature and read about them, they're always talked about in ways that can't be comprehended, like they're matrixes or um, they're... they're woven forms or um, I, I think there's a description somewhere of the cherubim as balls made out of eyes and wings right mm. and it's just just a form of, of blinking eyes yeah. with wings so, right <laughs> and like holy crap that's like crazy amazing right yeah. like and it's so far out of what you would think of the universe that gave us like stone castles and drawbridges and um, you know like the Bronze Age stuff, yeah. right? Like it's very like literal and and visceral and blech. and yet they have these these pieces that are like so crazy abstract. Um, so those are the things I think about a lot. I think about the changing meaning of mythology and gods, um, and also how queer stories are hidden from us. Um, so here you have Odin there, um, and it's 
Uh, when, Can you explain the piece you're pointing at? Yeah, so the piece I'm, I'm pointing <laughs> at um, is it's like a muscular dude with a beard, um, and his forms are all uh, like each is its own pattern. Mm-hmm. So the chest is like checks, and his stomach is made out of polka dots, and his fist is a different color polka dot. He's got glitter for his face and his trunks. Um, so, and he's flexing his muscles because he's a, Odin, a right? Floral he's like, background. On a floral, yes. yes. On, a, on a floral fabric background. It's just beautiful. Um, painted right on top of the, the fabric and the fabric there is mounted. And gold leaf hair. He's got, yes, gold leaf <laughs> um, wings for hair. I love it. Um, yeah, no, he's just all sorts him. of like flash, yeah, right? Yeah, it's my favorite out of the series. Thank you. I don't Thank know if you. it's the glitter, but he just like, I... I want him in my house. I think it's the glitter. I really love the glitter. <laughs> You're in good company. Yes. You love um, glitter. Which I was laughing about the Tyler, like, <laughs> poor Tyler, because this is how my boyfriend feels yeah. all the time. He's like, when I pull out glitter, yeah. like gold, like leafing, metal, metal foil, he's yeah. like, fine, at least it's not horrible. You can vacuum it up. When I pull out glitter, like, his attitude changes. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, because I have a piece that has glitter on it, there's glitter on everything. Everything, of course. And if there's carpet yeah. in a space, there's glitter in that carpet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm we work in the same office, and after we did our uh, photo shoot, I came in like two weeks later, and I'm looking at the ground in our, our hallway, and there's pink glitter. And I was like, yeah. oh no, someone's going to figure out that was us. Like, <laughs> it's just on us. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's life. Yeah. So um, with with Odin, the queer story is that he was a, a practicer of magic, right? And magic in the, that Viking lore um, was a queer practice, um, and it involved homosexuality, homosexual acts, um, uh, the the tie of being a magician was very much linked with um, penetration, male penetration, um, and the fact that the father of the gods is the practitioner of this, I think is something that's really, really important for queer audiences to know. Right? These are myths that belong to us just as much as they belong to the rest of the macro, macro culture. Um, and we just don't see them. And that's echoed in Oris, who's right next to him, made out of paper. Again, the same kind of, of fragmenting of the figures. Uh, so he's made out of Dungeons and Dragons papers. Go! <laughs> don't support that! I like d I'm, I'm um, married to a Dungeons and his, his hip bones down there, they're yeah. cutouts of character sheets from my characters that I played when I was a teenager. I can't, not, I can't <laughs> We're going to go to your show and we Tyler's going to be like, end, end this the is my podcast. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. Um, so Oris so um, and Set uh, have a great collection of stories. And for those of you who don't know, these are the Egyptian gods. Um, Oris is the one who brought his father Osiris back from the dead after Set killed his father and chopped him up into pieces and threw him into the Nile. Um, And so Oris had all these adventures collecting the pieces of his father and putting him back together. Really visceral, gross story, right? Mm -hmm. Even better. Even better. (laughs) And I didn't learn this till last year, which is how crazy it is to think about queer stories and queer mythology, right? 
I care about this, and I didn't learn about it until yeah. last year. So Oris and Set have a whole collection of stories where in in Egyptian culture, um, it wasn't penetration that defined whether or not you were, you know, what we would consider gay, right, or homosexual or whatever. It was it was semen and where the semen ends up. And so they have this whole like series of games where they're trying to chick trick each other into ingesting each other's semen. It is no way. It is one of my favorite things. Like when I read this, this is myth, fascinating, right? Yeah. When I read this myth, I was blown away. So Oris finally wins out um, and poisons Set with his <laughs> semen. <laughs> God. During a dinner party <laughs> that Set was holding while Set's doing Oris at one point trying to get his own yeah. semen into the other god, right? Like there's this oh whole massive looping yeah. of of the penetration of the 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 liquid, right? Yeah. Um which I find incredibly fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk, when you step back from all of them, right? And whether it's those two gods, and then also here represented um, are Shaitan uh, in a female form and Inari also in a female form. And that Inari is Japanese goddess. Shaitan is a, um, a pre-Muslim goddess, and she's actually uh, they is a better way to say they. Both of those gods appear in both gendered forms okay. across their wow. mythologies. Um, all of them are gods of magic. And it turns out when you when you step back, all of the queer stories always tie back to things that are related with the otherworldly, um, which I find fascinating, and I feel like it makes us even more unicorny. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a unicorn. You're a unicorn. <laughs> We're all unicorns. All magic users. <laughs> I love this collection so Thank much. Thank you. I can't wait. I will be there. I'm I'm very excited. There's I the the next four pieces will all be a little bit different as these are a little bit different from each other, but they they'll incorporate the same fragmenting and patterning of form. Excuse it's, me. It's lovely to see when you go back to your um, consistent mm-hmm. um, that. They're different, but they um, also have that connection to your past work as yes. well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that's really important for for me. So you'll see um, both the piece with Inari and the piece with Odin. Um, they have a telephone pole in them, uh, <laughs> and it ties back to I did I when I started like five years ago, really taking my seriously. I did a lot of landscapes, and the thing that interested me, me about California landscapes was the play of telephone poles on the landscape itself, because to me, right, I love anything that has to do with communication, right? The way yeah. that we impart meaning, and a telephone pole itself, right, is this wonderful. Um, historical piece right our history of how we communicate with each other it's something that wasn't there in the landscape 100 years ago and it probably won't be there in 100 years in our future like it's our landscape and and to me that's special right but it's thinking about how meaning is made right and 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 i think it's even more compelling 
um, when you when you think about the telephone pole in a U.S. American puritanical context, it is a cross every few hundred feet on every road you're driving down. And I think that's really intentional. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And then I love then putting crosses all over my gay yeah. shit. <laughs> 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 yeah, <that's how> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, <laughs> yes. I just think your pieces have so much to say, and they're so interesting on all types of levels that okay. I just, your pieces are great. Thank I you. love them so much. And I love the pattern work, the fabric, the gold leaf that the you gold leaf. Yes. so long. It's so leaf. forever. And well, you know, it was really wonderful to hear Andrew talk about gold leaf because here's someone who's studied it, right? And and I'll say I care about the correct application of metal foils. Um, and we really shouldn't call it gold leaf because I'm not using gold, I'm using <laughs> metal foil. <laughs> not using real gold. <laughs> Which actually I'll say, like, um, had I done... Uh, Shaitan there in a uh, real gold leaf um, it, 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 it would have changed the price point of materials from $20 to $150 oh, yeah. so it's not a giant jump um, but I, I very purposefully did not want precious metals on these pieces um, and the interesting thing about copper foil is it actually is copper um, it, okay. It's what it's made out of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, silver foil is generally aluminum, unless it's it's specifically declared real silver. And gold foil is typically a mix of copper and other materials, um, which is why it tarnishes and has to be polished. Um, and that's why I was and able to tarnish. Tarnished it on yes. purposefully. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I was just say I love how um, earlier you broke down with abstract art. Oh, sure. And, and with your pieces, they have abstract elements. Yes. But the way you bring them back together, I love. Like, as someone who, like, would walk into a gallery, I wouldn't look at these and think abstract art. I would look at them and I'd want to take time to really stare at them and look for the meaning. Um, they're just incredible pieces. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I really wanted something where uh, even if you don't know mythology, yes, even if you don't understand what I'm trying to convey about queer experience or queer theory. Because um, that's uh, like, like my mom says <laughs> all the time. And, and it, it really informed, I think it's one of the best pieces of, of, of real criticism I've ever gotten. My mom said, you're too smart, right? And what she means by that is people don't understand what you're trying to say. You are over-educated. You over-analyze, you overthink about what you're making. And I love that about yeah. my work, right? And I feel I feel naked when I put works out. I yeah. feel like if you stood there and stared at it long enough, you would know so much about my yeah. psyche. But like <laughs> like psyche, yeah. right? Like not not just like the secrets that I keep um, it, deleting out of my yeah. history on my web browser, right? Not those kind yeah. of things. I mean like those deep, really dark, gross, nasty, like evil thoughts mm-hmm. that we all actually have. Um, you could read those in my work um that's just how I feel about it um but what it what it made me reflect on is that that's what I care about 
But in order to be accessible, I also have to create something that's interesting and beautiful without that. And that's why I like the patterns. That's why I like the materials so much uh, and why I like to mix the different mediums. Um, I feel that, that when you get pieces like this where there's so much happening inside of the form that they become their own curios, right? Mm-hmm. It, and it's, it's almost like walking up to um, a, a cabinet filled with all these little great wonderful things to examine and articulate, yeah. right? Um, but in, in this case, I'm doing it in a way that it's a single object put back together. Yeah. I, and that really was the idea, was how can I translate a curio cabinet into a painting um, and encapsulate the idea of being God and being gay at the same yeah. time? <laughs> you did it. And I just think just even individually, if I walked up to just one of these, and I would just, it just it's powerful. They're Thank each you. powerful. Thank you. I really love them. Thank you. I agree with you, Mom. You are way too smart. Uh, So my question for you is, uh, when you present them in your show, uh, I'm assuming you have an artist statement, but with the labels, do you go into the mythology of each Or is it just their name? So this will be a really interesting one for me because 825 traditionally... Uh, as a gallery, and they very much display, like like Peter, who's the gallery manager, manager mm-hmm. over there, and he manages the entire organization, he will not have a problem saying to me, cut this piece. This doesn't fit with the show. Uh, I, I want you to rethink this in here. Maybe have two or three less. Like, the, um, full expectation that he will have some input on how the show is hung. On top of that, they traditionally do not label works on the wall. Mm-hmm. They pin a number, and you have to go back to the pricing sheet. Yes, yeah. I remember this. Yeah, and it's pricing sheets aren't my favorite model because I feel like if you make any hindrance to the buy, you're making a hindrance to the buy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I don't love them, but... Both neither TAG nor 825 have uh, art dealing in their missions, mm-hmm. right? So for 825 to say we're not going to label on the walls, it actually works for them. Or for a museum or an institution, perfectly acceptable. If you're a gallery who's driving, whose main point is to drive sales, you're going to have the label right there with the price on it. Yeah. Um, and... Here at TAG, the artists make that choice. Typically, they make it together, not always, um, but typically together. And it typically goes towards labels on the wall because the artists have more of a vested interest in sales in this gallery than they would in, say, 825. Okay. Um, which is really like 825 is a much better springboard for gallery representation, um, a much better springboard for proving that you can put on a show so that you can do shows at other institutions. Uh, and other institutions will look at your 825 show. Okay. Um, in fact, most people who have had solo shows at 825, the favorites that I've followed, I have then seen them exhibit those shows and other conceptual shows in major institutions all across the West Coast. 
Um, one of my favorites uh, showed his show there and then immediately showed another show uh, down the street here and then immediately two months later showed a show in Denver. Wow. Um, I mean, like, boom, boom, yeah. boom. And it really, when I asked him, he said it tied back to 825. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so, so <clears throat> you don't have to go to art school <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be successful <laughs> in the art world. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say, like, it does definitely help, right? Yeah. The thing that I see from, from a peerage that has an MFA or a peerage that even just has a BFA, um, is that they know a lot more people. Yeah. Like, way more people than I do. They have better connections than I do. They know about more art calls than I do. Um, it just, it, it's a really great way to be connected to what it means to be an artist in today's world. Um, okay. That's really what I see the benefit yeah. of education being. Um, but I'd say that across all fields, right? Like, like the benefit to an Ivy League of education is that you know who all the Ivy Leaguers are, right? And I Absolutely. see that among all of my peers now, right? And like, if I were to reconsider my college experience, the only change I would make is I would have pushed harder for an Ivy League school or a, or a West okay. Coast top brand yeah. school rather than a state school. Not because I feel I would have gotten mm-hmm. a better education. I actually don't. I think I got the best education. Like. Out of everyone I know, I think I got the best education at a state school because they cared about teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I see all of my peerage who went to Ivy Leagues or who went to Berkeley or went to USC, right? The difference there is they have all the connections within the industries that they're working in to really make leadership changes, um, leadership jumps that I struggle a little bit more. Okay. Than they do, and that's not to say that I struggle. Yeah. Right? I, I still have a master's degree <laughs> and a manager job, manager level you're, position you're for a major corporation. <laughs> Soon to be co-president yeah. of an operational gallery. I mean, like I'm doing fine. You're literally killing the show. <laughs> oh, oh, and in in shameless plugs, yes, I do want to add this one in since we're talking about my work. Um, I have a series of works that um, it, it's older. Most of my work from 2015, 2016 was engaged on social justice. Um, lots of portraiture, uh, lots of, of police violence issues. Um, and one of my works, a painting that depicts um, the shooting of Walter Scott, um, is going to be reprinted in La Carrega o la Violencia de la Estat contra el Pueblo, or <laughs> The Change or the Violence Against the State Against People at the Museum of Garacha in Girona, Spain. Wow. That's incredible. So I get museum credit at the <gasps> wow. end of this month. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. And it will be on display celebrating a hundred year old ap- acquisition from Ramon Casas called The Charge through August. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. So uh, uh, international museum credit, patting myself on yeah, the back. Yeah, as you should. <laughs> well-deserved. That's Thank amazing. Um, and again, like, really great because they're reprinting it, so yeah. I have literally <laughs> no, no cost. cost. <laughs> that is amazing. I was like, not only do you have permission to reprint, you have permission yeah. to publicize, yeah. put it on all of your yeah. flyers. <laughs> 
use it in social media, like exactly. anywhere you want. Yeah. You don't even have to attribute me. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love, I love it. it. That's amazing. So I feel with my art. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Just use yeah. it in whatever yeah. way you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, which is a really interesting thing, right? Because um, and I, I find that, um, so you and I, we come from educated backgrounds, right? Um, we also come from, you know, a certain socioeconomic class. Um, and so when we approach art, we approach it in this way that art belongs to everybody. And yes, I want you, I want yeah. you to use my art to make your own art, right? Exactly. Um, and it's because to us, like, the money and the finances behind art aren't necessarily the drivers, right? Mm -hmm. But I have found in my experience that those artists who don't come from an education background and or so a, a higher level socioeconomic background is that the ownership of ideas, right, becomes really, really important. And that's something I really struggle with with those with those artists who have a different experience with ideas than I do, right? Because where I feel like eh, we're riffing off each other, let's have yeah. fun, you know. Like I see artists playing with collage, yeah. I see artists playing with fabric, I see artists playing with metal foil, and I'm like, dude, that's awesome, let's go for yeah. it, right? And I'm like, follow, follow, follow. <laughs> um, whereas you know, uh, other artists see me doing something, and they they'll say, well, but that was this guy's idea, or that's my idea. And, and my take on it is, well, yeah, of course it was. And now I'm riffing on it and yeah. doing something in my style yeah. on that idea. And it's kind of cool, yeah. right? Uh, There's that amazing book, um, How to Steal Like an Artist. I, and it's so important because a lot of times you get to your own uniqueness or originality from stealing from other people to get there absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely and and really if we're not allowed to riff off of and play off of each other and and really engage in visual dialogue that's the way i like to think about it I like right that a lot right yeah. um if we're not allowed to engage in vis visual dialogue back and forth what's the point yeah. right like if, if you create a work about donald trump and I have a reaction to it and create a work in the same style about Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. And then another artist has a reaction to it and creates a work in a similar style about Ivanka, right? We've got this really interesting conversation happening in a visual sphere that I think then increases the whole dialogue that everybody's engaged in. But if you say, oh, that's stealing from me, cut it off, nope, 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 then you've cut off the dialogue. You've cut off the potential for growth. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things we talk about in my professional world is that we're not actually competing with what you would consider our competitors. They're actually helping us grow the knowledge of our industry. Our competitors are actually a completely different field over there that are stealing the audience <laughs> we could be collecting across our industry, right? We're, so we don't look at it. I mean, you know, we're the biggest fish in the pond. So, <laughs> so we don't look at it as competition. We look at it as, as incremental growth for the entire industry. If you grow a little bit, we grow a little mm. bit, right? 
whereas we look over there to to a different industry and we say, mm, we need to make sure that we're growing against their growth. It's a different type of model. So I feel like with artists together, if we all agree that we're growing on each other, right? That there's no such thing as stealing. I mean, you know, there is, but when you're doing things in your own way, it's not stealing. Mm -hmm. Um, When you get an idea that sparks, or when somebody's work sparks an idea that informs a difference in your own work, that's not stealing. Um, What stealing is a direct copy. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically it. I have a question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Call back to episode one. Okay. The Ivanka Trump piece. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What would someone say if I were to do that same piece here, but with Michelle Obama? So I, I, I actually thought about that during the episode yeah. when you brought it up, you, because you, you would ask that question yeah. during the show. And I think that what you run into is when it's Ivanka... It becomes this idea about power and domesticity. When it's Michelle, it becomes about power, domesticity, and the historical context of slavery and servitude. And that's a completely different, completely different read on feminism, right? And I think that when you introduce powerful black women into uh, roles of subservience, you're really doing them a disservice. Whereas uh, when you do the same thing with powerful women who are not of color, right, it's a less of a, of a harm to them, right? Because, because white women do not have the historical context mm-hmm. of slavery. They were not forced to be servants. That's not true at certain socioeconomic levels. Yeah. But, I mean, again, we need to separate slavery. Yeah. <laughs> Clear social wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. from the overarching uh, history of women's subservience, right? And that is definitely its own bubble. And that's, that's what becomes problematic with a Michelle lookalike yeah. cleaning up after all of us. Would it... I agree. Would it be considered stealing? I don't think so. Okay. I, That's see, what I'm interested in. And, and for me, right, so um, I actually think about it in terms of math uh-huh. a lot. Um, because, so my 2017 work, all of that series, um, which the boys downstairs uh, on display right now at Tag Gallery, <laughs> um, they uh, were all taken from um, the internet. All of the images that I used from that series were taken from the internet, largely from Reddits um, and and Tumblrs before Tumblr went prude on us. <laughs> <laughs> and I very much wanted to grab the idea of the queer social sharing, um, which is kind of what's going on with my Instagram right now too. So the pieces downstairs, um, they're all uh, shared photographs, right? The provenance unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I like the idea that there's some are Vintage, some are new, some are, are essentially from pornography, some are from people's private collections. You just don't know yeah. really where they, these images are sourced from. Um, but I did think very particularly about the math of them. And my rule was I didn't want the figure that I used to take up more than 80% of the total work of art. Okay. Or, sorry, more than 20%, okay. right? that makes more sense. So, okay. yes. Yeah. So that, that my 
my uh, physical task making, right, was 80% of the creation. And I felt that that kept me very established in fair use mathematically. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Um, I, and I tend to think about things mm-hmm. in a math-like structure mm-hmm. that way. It helps me uh, organize both what I want to accomplish um, and where the boundaries yeah. are. <laughs> um, so I did a lot of line figure outlines. Excuse me. I did a lot of line figure outlines um, and the line itself is never more than 10% of the total piece, right? Okay, so yeah. even though it's the central subject, mm-hmm. right, the, the, there may be a photograph underneath yeah. and then I've drawn over uh, and, and those two photographs superimposed on each other, those are my photographs. Okay. I've taken those. Yeah. It's my original artwork. Um, I've done the line drawing yeah. of it, but that line drawing is based on something that was not my original work. Okay. But I feel like playing off of that original work allows me to then say something completely different about it. And when I take things like uh, like shared pornography mm-hmm. and I start talking about the way that we interact with each other online in a visual way, it changes the context of art. And I love too then that you have something that's aesthetically pleasing, yes. right? We know that guys are gonna like it because yes. it's a hot dude. I like it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, but at the same time, like if you stop to think about it, well, okay, why is the hot dude represented um, inside of his figure with a chain link fence? Mm-hmm. And then why is outside of him um, an open ocean scene? Yeah. Like what, it, what is, is Ryan, the artist, trying to say about how we encase ourselves and e- expose ourselves, right? And um, I want to post a picture of this piece as well. Um, the one downstairs that we're discussing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and the writing on it. As... Yeah, so that piece, the Communion Quad is the mm-hmm. name of this piece. Um, and it's it's four works on paper. Um, the, they're ink paintings. And then uh, I hand wrote. Uh, they're from two different uh, kind of hodgepodge collections. One set of them is from uh, queer porn commenting. Okay. Um, and so it's things like, hey, hot body, yeah. I want to get with you, uh, nice buns, yeah. um, and a little bit more graphic. <laughs> <laughs> to a lot more graphic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the other one, uh, the other two pieces in that set, um, are they're taken from a news article uh, and I particularly, I, I, it's the major Denver newspaper. Okay. Denver Sun, maybe? No, that's Phoenix. It's whatever the major Denver paper is. So on, I went online and, and read the comments and used those from a few of their uh, gay marriage political articles. And so you get a much different uh, read of, of language when you're talking about a general audience in Colorado Mm -hmm. um, discussing gay marriage and how that's evil and awful. Um, And I like the juxtaposition of, hey, sexy man, um, you deserve to die, right? Like, uh, because that is the experience that I've had my whole life. Mm -hmm. I I literally, on one side, am considered a, you know, beautiful, sexual, um, 
a smart and intelligent being, right? With full of vibrancy and positivity. And then over here, um, there is a whole uh, line of people who would happily, uh, you know, throw a rock at me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I live a different way. (laughs) And that's so powerful when you understand the concept behind that piece. It's just heartbreaking almost. Yeah, I mean, so I I love, for me, and it's it's totally kind of my own way that, that, like, I get joy out of art, is I want to create things that are beautiful and critical. Um, And... <clears throat> that means that you know you're looking at a at a beautiful object over there, but I'm saying something really really nasty about yep. it. <laughs> well, that's when we walked in, and I thought I was like, oh, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it was aesthetically you. pleasing. Yeah. And when I walked up closer, I and I was reading the lines. I was so torn. I was like, yeah. What? Um, like, uh, but and I could have stayed down there much longer looking at it, which I don't say that about a lot of pieces. <laughs> so. um, I have I have a social justice piece, and I'll I'll share it with you guys to put online. Um, that's a Blue Holocaust. It's probably my most successful piece, um, in that it it has been shown a lot, um, both in reprints and in its original. Um, it's still, uh, like, it still gets shown. Um, and I made it in 2015. Wow. Um, so for, for a piece of artwork to yeah. still get accepted to shows years later, mm. um, really great. Uh, so it's six separate um, 20 by 20 watercolor portraits. Uh, three of them are blue, and those are of young black boys who have been killed by police uh, in the United States within the last few years. Um, Kamani Gray... Uh, Tamir Rice and Deontay, um, oh, oh, I, uh, Deontay Terrell Farrow, thank you, thank you, (laughs) nothing worse. I gave you the look of, you need to remember this. Yes, I do. Um, so, uh, yes, the three of them. Um, and then juxtaposed against them are three red watercolor portraits of um, Jewish and Romani boys who were rescued by U.S. American soldiers in, from the Holocaust. Wow. Yes. So these are all public domain images recreated in watercolor, which is why I get to do them. <laughs> Not stealing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Mathematics. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then I wrote a bit of prose um, that really talks about the black boots that becomes this recurring refrain Um, and it's when the black boots come during the night when the black boots come into the neighborhood Um, and it's reflecting the black boots of the Nazis and the black boots of US American police today am I saying police are Nazis no but what I am saying is that the Jewish Holocaust really has some some true parallels to the black holocaust that has been occurring in the united states forever that piece is called blue holocaust um it's very very aggressive towards police um and and i think police are wrong in a lot of instances when it comes to their interactions with black communities um and that's what i'm calling out it's a beautiful piece. I love to watch people when it's exhibited. Um, the first time I showed it was uh, in one of the beach communities a little further south. I won't name which one. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but it was a beach community a little further south, not in L.A. County. (laughs) 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 And and I I really loved watching people because they were instantly drawn to it. It's Mm -hmm. beautiful. The colors are there. And the the script is, it's my natural script. Um, but, you know, when you get something so fine and, and close, right, you really want to get into it and mm-hmm. read it. And when people got the message, which usually only took 20, 30 seconds, a, a lot of them walked away instantly. Wow. Like instantly walked away. Um, it is a very aggressive piece. Um, uh, really interestingly, when it showed in Paso Robles just a few months ago, uh-huh. uh, back in January, um, people loved it. Loved it. So, you know, a very yep. different, um, much more liberal, mm-hmm. arts-oriented community. Uh, and it was really one of the big talk-about ones in the show. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Wow. And that's my favorite thing. Yeah. Right? The, the, I, I don't feel that these guys are quite as literally hard. Uh-huh. for Like, I think you can walk away without ever getting the critical yep. message in Pantheon, or even in Mythologies, which was my September show. I'm, I'm much less in-your-face critical with these, yep. um, much more subtly critical. But I think as soon as you start to ask yourself the question, why are the figures broken into different patterns? It begs the question, then, what is the artist experience? And then when you ask, well, what is this artist's experience? Then what is, what, who defines himself as the queer California artist, right? Then what does it mean to be queer? What does it mean to be queer in California, right? And when you think about, there's still this anxiety happening in one of the most liberal spaces in the world. It really kind of, you know, and, and I'm privileged, <laughs> right? Super privileged, like super, super privileged, right? Like fully aware, <laughs> I operate in the top 10% privilege. Yeah. Um, and I still have anxiety about all of that, right? Um, yeah. Again, I, I could talk awesome. forever. <laughs> I think it's I fascinating. Love it. I think so too. And I'm, I'm excited to see the Blue Holocaust pieces. Mm. Um, I think it's just that's got to be so incredible that even if they walk away, you affected someone. Oh, and I that's love powerful, it. I and that's love amazing. It. I, yeah, it's it, when people hate something you've yeah. done, and I think you mentioned on that a mm. couple. Of, it's better to have people talk negatively than not talk yeah. at all. <laughs> no, yes, totally, exactly. tear me to shreds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some type of reaction. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? Make me cry a little. I don't even mind. (laughs) I mean, I do in the moment, but tomorrow I won't. (laughs) That's amazing. I really want to talk about your Instagram. Yes. Because I'm fascinated. I I love it so much. Like every every time I'll um you will post something and um I just, I love it. And then I'll show my husband, who's mm-hmm. a fan of your work. Yes. And he's like, I love this piece. And it's so great. Well, but he won't follow. So, <laughs> well, Tyler probably well, would, but most husbands would not. Yeah. Tyler totally loved your piece. <laughs> After you had a, a piece in, um, it was the video show for Los Oh, yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. you had, I think, a tablet framed, mm-hmm. and you had your piece in the tablet and it was was it the uh, fragmented frag yeah boys? they were yeah they were 
changing. Yeah. So I drew um, last year. Uh, was it last year? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm flying. <laughs> yeah. um, so I drew a uh, hundred figures. Um, again, these were, were figures found online. Um, and I patterned over the figures and then removed the figures uh, digitally on an iPad. The, the entire wow. set is created. And most of my Instagram um, post process is iPad. Um, like I use Sketches Pro, yeah. um, which has an uh, iPad version and a desktop version. Uh, I think they're free, but the Pro version is $20 in each. Best $40 I ever spent. Best yeah. $40. Like, I use it daily. Um, hugely informs my art practice. We have comments. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, the figures, those figures are what defined this body of work. Mm -hmm. Um, they were the start of fragmenting and it really started with, I'm just playing with dudes and, and having fun. I'm just having fun with naked dudes, right? Um, drawing patterns over them and playing with just the effects, um, behind it. And it turned out I loved it. (laughs) Right. So cool. Uh, and it allowed me to very quickly practice it allows me to practice drawing it allows me to practice form it allows me to practice color um it allows me to practice patterning all of this in minutes right which when you when you are not working electronically is it's not that fast it's messy (laughs) it takes up a lot of space right and all of this happens on my ipad um the bulk of those 100 figures i made on vacation in europe while cruising cruising the Mediterranean. I had downloaded a book. I was like, I'm going to draw all these guys. This is relaxing. And it was during that trip that I drew the first of the pattern, like figured out how the mapping would work and and started really playing with the different forms and patterns. Um, I found some new stencils. Um, Yeah, and they just keep informing themselves. You know, the fabric was a new addition inspired by other artists that I know. Um, The the future of this upcoming show will include some wallpaper um, applied directly to the canvas, uh, as well as other materials. Um, I like the play of things. Um, I like thinking of paint beyond uh, the liquid material. Right? Like mm-hmm. painting with paper is kind of fun. Um, and I love paper. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I love paper. I love paper. The fun thing about paper. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about paper. Tell us about paper. Um, yeah, I just, I, it, and for me, there's so much joy in taking things that we interact with and really just making them a little bit different. Um, so Instagram, oh my goodness, I told you I could talk forever. <laughs> so, so my Instagram is um, crazy. For those of you who it. don't know, um, I, my Instagram is very me focused. I have taken the Oprah magazine um, uh, kind of route and every picture includes me. Drop your handle. Uh, oh, it's at K Ryan Hennessy. That's K-R-Y-A-N-H-E-N-I-S-E-Y. Um, and uh, same thing for my website, uh, kryanhennessy.com. Uh, so my Instagram, it's all me, uh, largely me missing articles of clothing. Um, so I like to show off my thighs. They're good and they're pretty. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a shapely little bubble butt. <laughs> well, you have a very cute butt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. my favorites are me too. Um, little, it's, like, it's not just you. The the like counts are much higher for those. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, it, but but it's actually it's really funny to me because uh, a year ago I would never, uh, never yeah. like total against the rules. Oh my god, no. Um, you know, and I c- came from public ed where it's super super conservative, mm-hmm. like duper conservative. Yeah. Um, like, uh, I still am friends with teachers who will not post, uh, pictures with alcohol in the background with them. Like if there's a beer can on a table 10 feet behind them, they will not post a picture online. Um, so that's the kind of background I'm coming from. But at the same time, I'm watching this whole world operate around me that is about queer social sharing. And I'm engaged in artwork that's about queer bodies. I'm engaged in artwork that's about queer bodies mm-hmm. and queer social sharing, and I'm not participating. Um, and then I started to really, like, not only was it about defining the conciseness of your body of work, but I find that artists also need to define their um, their stance in the world as an artist, right? And so when I said, well, if you want to be the queer artist, like if people, if you want everybody to think of you as the brand of queer artists, right, nationally and internationally, you have to engage in queer ways. And so I, I, I was like, okay, well, how did my heroes do that? How did Warhol do that? How did Mapplethorpe do that? How did Herring do that? Um, and so I go and I look at all of them. How did Basquiat do that, right? All of them. Um, and, and, and also reflect then on how do people outside of the art discipline, right? What did um, James Baldwin's work on what it means to be a black writer deeply informs me and in how I think about being a queer artist? Um, because like he says, I will never be divorced from queerness. Not in the historical context I live in. Even 300 years from now, when they're studying us, right, they're going to look back and they're going to say, Ryan lived in a time of identity politics. And that was what ruled the American consciousness, right? And so Ryan's work has to be defined in that queer context. So rather than fighting against that, I want to own it. Mm-hmm. And part of owning that is owning my body um, and, and owning that, that sex sells, that being pretty sells, that showing off your body sells. And it does. I've made more in art sells since September when I showed my first butt picture. <laughs> wow. Then I've made my entire five-year career that I've focused on fine art. Incredible. Um, in September, when I really started to to change this, and really like the the focus, the de- the definition of this didn't occur till November. Um, so I'm playing September through November, and then defined by November. Um, but since September, the playing to defining and to now, uh, I went from 700 followers just on my regular art. Um, engagement, and I'll say I've I've upped my engagement, my personal engagement game to mm-hmm. others, which also is an influence. 
Um, and now I'm over uh, 2,400, right? Or just under 2,400 today. I think I'm doing about 100 uh, new followers every week. That's amazing. Um, and and p- part of it is the extreme focus on how social media works. Mm-hmm. But a huge part of it is showing my ass. A huge part. I, I, I target my audience, and my audience is gay men. And I, understanding that... I'm speaking about gay men context that I want to sell art to gay men. Like, rather than targeting art collectors, I'm going to create a market of art collectors in my niche. Which is brilliant. Right? Yeah. Right? I didn't come up with that idea. I heard it, but I stole it like an artist. Hell yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) one thing that I love that you're doing on your Instagram... Yeah. Is um so you're not just I, it's dropping, not just my butt. You're She's not right. Just it's not. The there, there is art going <laughs> on. Yes. And there's yeah. art behind you in a lot of the pictures. And I'm playing before but, you go to your question. Okay. I let me ask you. I'm playing with the idea of taking these Instagram images and making those actual images the subject of my solo show I, for that now. That was her question. <laughs> I asked me in the office and I was like save it for the podcast we right. have the worst conversations where I'm like can I ask you a question and I start just don't say it we can't talk about this yet save it for the podcast so I actually <laughs> went to Catherine and I was like so I've been looking at Ryan's Instagram and all day oh, long at work <laughs> you're not wrong you're not you're not not wrong <laughs> um and I was like, "Ladies, you can follow me, please." <laughs> yes, it's it's not just for the boys. It's not. It's not I mean, just it for is, the boys. But you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and but I was telling her, I was like, I feel like his individual Instagrams are art pieces. Mm-hmm. It's him with his art, but then these pops and uh oh, There's these pops and splashes of patterns and colors, and I was like, would this be considered pop surrealism? And she would not answer me. Um, and she was like, just bring it up later. I was like, no, I don't want to look this dumb. Like, I like, don't understand. Like, this is just his fun thing. But I love what he's doing. And it's so much more than just a booty picture, than just a selfie. There's colors and statements. Yeah, yeah. And I love pop surrealism. And I, I think be using that incorrectly. No, I think, that, I think that's a really great way to describe it. I think of it as an extension of digital collage. Okay. Um... And so, because so much of my work is collage-oriented, yes. I see the overlaying of those, and I'm, I'm literally just drawing. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I want that pattern, and I just steal that pattern, and I trace yeah. the pattern in my colors, or, you know, do little tiny flourishes or well, whatever. And I'm, it's like you're collaging and layering yes, your, your yeah. art with your picture, and then... I just I love it. I think Thank it's you. so cool. Thank Do you. Do the show. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've been thinking about it a lot. I did I did submit um to to a show recently with three of the pieces that they uh-huh. they were not accepted. Um, but I I'm I, not a curator. Um, but uh, I like well, it. <laughs> but I actually I I mean I think there's something like ridiculously meta about the idea that like here's an art piece of an artist with an art piece yes. that he made that he's then drawn even more shit over. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, well, if I can print those out large scale, could I also then apply more on top of that? So it's actually a physical piece of art on top of a digital piece of art. Like, right? Yeah, you're layering. It's (laughs) (laughs) And it fits my favorite subject, 
Yeah. Me. Of <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So that may be what appears in November. Awesome. <laughs> but there's so much time between now and then I could change yeah. my mind. <laughs> I definitely think that there's something there. I, I do too. So I really do. And I think it's important... I'm sure you would agree that, like, if you put a piece into a call for entry and it doesn't get accepted, does not mean that oh, it's no, a bad not piece. Oh, no, not at all. Um, and I think a lot of artists get discouraged that, oh, this isn't a piece that will ever be shown. And it really depends on the juror or the theme yeah. or the space. I think it would be amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in kind of expanding on them, exploring them more. Um, I, I like when I put parameters on them. Mm-hmm. So all of December was in, or January was in white, right? Um, so rules. Yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, he loves um, rules. Yeah, you guys are polar opposites. But you know, you also have those mornings where you're like, oh shit, I didn't do my drawing for Instagram last night. And there's three of them due every day, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's a small art project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because we hate ourselves. Yeah. Um, my favorite line from Californication starring David Duchovny. I love that show. Love that love show. Love it. So, um, you know, it's like the last season and there's that young kid trying to get with his daughter who mm-hmm. wants to be a writer. And he says to the kid, why would you want to do that to yourself? Being a writer is just giving yourself homework for the rest of yes. your life. And I was like, that's what I did. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Oh my god, you guys have to watch it. It's so good. It's if you like Breaking Bad, so you'll like it. Yeah. Yes. It's a very irreverent show okay. about a writer who's mm-hmm. just kind of a shitty person. Mm. But like yeah. an endearing shitty, shitty person. But you love him, but it's <laughs> okay. funny. It's Molder, right? It's good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I yeah. like him anyway. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh no, I mean it's he's great to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and he he's like a, the worst womanizer, so he's yeah. naked all the time. But you're, like, you're down with it. You're like, I'd let him womanize me. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, you're kind of like, I want to be him. Yeah. Yeah, it's really conflicting. <laughs> it's very... Just like Walter White. Yes. It's a real, like... Best character actor. Yep. All right, we've digressed. We have. <laughs> no, we're now to the TV segment. Um, All right. Should we go? Should we do a featured artist? Highlighted artist? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, so I picked the featured artist yes. today. Um, and the, the artist I picked is David Jester. Um, he's a San Diego-based artist. Um, and I picked him because I am really, really drawn to just the beauty and the vibrancy and the color um, in his work. He uses nude figures uh, in a swimming pool. Uh, and one of the things that stands out for me and kind of echoes right my own patterning, but this is in the ripples of the pool, right? The painted ripples of the pool is that distortion of, of the queer experience, right? Uh, and so when you look at one of David's paintings, you can tell that the figure, you know, I mean, it's very obviously in a pool, it's underwater, but nothing's right crystal clear. It's mm-hmm. like you would expect it to be looking underwater. And I, I think that that's David's way of saying, this is the experience I've had operating in, in the world around me. Nothing's quite clear. Uh, everything's a little bit distorted. Still beautiful, but a little bit harder to read or to understand. Um, and the thing that, that I think really um, m- 
makes David stand out is that clear, unique, concise, and argumentative stance, right? He's clear in that his subject is, is crystal clear. You know that these are dudes in a pool. Um, he's unique in that he's doing something with color, with, with the feel of California, right? Which you said something about palm trees a couple yeah. <laughs> episodes ago. Literally, if it's a picture of a California sunset with a palm tree, I want it. Same! I need it! <laughs> I, like, I love you. ridiculous. You're my new artist. She shamed me. <laughs> no, I, well, I it was stand so by funny. my shame. It was so funny when you did because I was like, yeah, no, that's everything. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> um, but David's also concise. All of his works are about an, a naked figure in a pool, right? A, a nude mm-hmm. male figure in a pool. Uh, and he's argumentative in the way that he paints, right? By using a very painterly style, by using those vib- vibrant, bright colors, and then by, by choosing a subject that's purposefully distorted, he's asking us to think about the queer experience, to think about what it means to be defined as as male or HIV positive or um, gay or sissy or fat or twinkie, right? All of these different words that we hear, uh, different labels that we hear, I think he challenges those. Um, David Jester can be found at... David M. Jester, that's D-A-V-I-D-M-J-E-S-T-R dot com, um, or at surejest, S-U-R-E-J-E-S-T 1121, or at David M. Jester, which is his collaboration page. The at David M. Jester page is pretty fun. Um, it has, uh, he, he has asked writers to write poetry or stories inspired by the works that he's painted and those collaborations are really fun and interesting um, experiences in their own right. Um, David's uh, exhibited internationally in galleries, fairs, and competitions. Uh, He has works on display in Norway, uh, in Santa Barbara, (laughs) uh, in San Diego, and I believe in Florida today. Wow. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. He's really amazing. Yeah. Um, and he won first place recently in Metro Source Magazine's World Trade Center competition uh, it, last year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a big cash prize and museum placement. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, we will be sure to share uh, at least one of his images and tag all of these. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. he's just... a. Total favorite. I've met him a couple times. Mm-hmm. We've spoken on the phone a couple times. Awesome. I love what he has to say about his art, what he has to say about the queer experience. Um, you know, all of us artists are interesting, quirky characters, and he certainly fits that bill. And And he's got a good brain for what he's doing, What uh, got a good brain for what he, marketing what he's doing. And I, I think that... Um, when he finishes this series, he has a set goal that he wants to make. I think that if he really focuses on the connections that he has built in his own life, uh, we could see a lot of things out of this. Books, documentary. Um, I, I mean, I think there's a real space for his story. Um, I mean, I just, like, every time he's here in Los Angeles, I run 
Yeah. <laughs> to go see an yeah. artwork. That's incredible. Let us know. Absolutely. Too, and we absolutely. will come with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think his work is amazing as far as him taking ownership of the male body because I think that's rare in artwork. You don't usually have nude males. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and um, it's, it's a barrier to showing. Um, I mean, I imagine. I, I, there, there are some galleries that, that literally will not show a penis, period, mm-hmm. end of conversation. You will never see a nude male form in a number of galleries and in a number of local Los Angeles galleries. Wow. <laughs> and what I love about his the men in the pool is there's pieces where he has, you know, three mm-hmm. men in the pool and they're not, it yeah. looks like a, I don't know how to describe this, but it's not overly sexualized. It's not like pornographic. It's men in a pool who obviously have a relationship that are enjoying each other's company in the best type of way. Yeah, they speak to that type of uh, body innocence that I I really think we've lost in uh, the way we interact with each other today. Um, Is that something we can lay at the feet of pornography? Maybe a little bit. Um, Is it something we can lay at the feet of just gender um, interactions? Absolutely. Um, But also I think it's something that that speaks to our own history. We're really bad at sex, like as a people. We're uncomfortable talking about it. We're uncomfortable having it be a subject of discourse. Um, I mean, we're, we're still today working through, hey, powerful men. You should not hit on women that work for you. Yeah. Still working through that today. <laughs> I live in the city of West Hollywood, and yeah. any of you who are interested in public scandals, go check out the 2019 mayoral oh, no. <laughs> discussions. <laughs> Because even amongst the boys, we need to have conversations about when it's right and when it's not. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, but there is something. Um, my, my boyfriend ha- has mentioned a few times um, that there is something missing in today's interactions in queer culture uh, and he defines it as a loss of that sexual innocence. That now um, we're sexualized with purpose rather than sexualized with innocence. Um, and I, you know, there, there are all those great master's pieces of young men bathing in pools, young men bathing on the river, young men bathing in the sea, uh, right? I mean, like the list goes on and yeah. on of young men bathing <laughs> <laughs> throughout history. <laughs> Uh, and and we don't get too much of that anymore because we go straight to the instant gratification of pornography. Um, but I think you know David keeps with some strict rules just as I do. Um, there are no erect penises. It really helps to define like like I can point to all of my work and say it's not sexual or erotic work because no one's aroused. Mm-hmm. Right? These are yeah. just it's figures. the male form. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it becomes a very different animal. And I've, I've had a number of commissions um, of uh, the erect form. Um, 
Guys like it. Sure, I'll make it for you. I'm not going to share that on Instagram. Interesting. It's interesting that you've had commissions Mm -hmm. requesting that. Yeah. And and I, I I approach them with, do you really want a piece that's that aggressive? Yeah. Um, but queer erotic art is its own niche. I mean, it's a big, like, and has masters, right? Tom of Finland is a, a definition of what it means to be a queer artist, right? Um, to sit over here and only mention in my, on my snobby box, which I did earlier, <laughs> right? Only mention the established ones, even though I included Maplethorpe. But only to mention them. <laughs> but, and not to really talk about Tom of Finland, mm-hmm. right? Or, or even, I mean, I would, I would argue that um, what some of the major pornography directors have done for queer pornography has been creative, Right, um, Chichi Larue is a, a, like has really created something special and different in queer erotic pornography um, that didn't exist before. Um, like she took things to a really graphic and different place, <laughs> and the boys liked it. Yeah. Um, and you know, I I think that when it comes to art, right, like we can't. We can't look at something like that and say it doesn't belong in the art context because it certainly does. It's part of the human experience. And if that's how I'm defining art, then I can't exclude anything. Um, But I do think what we can do is define the types of art and um, lanes that we want to be in, right? And so you can have Tom of Finland over here who's on the edge, and then you have Chichi LaRue who's clearly in pornography. and then you have someone like David Jester or I, who's way over here in fine art. Um, interestingly, uh, my male figures typically, uh, well, not typically, I have had three disclaimers posted next to my art in exhibitions, um, and once at a major institution. Really? Yeah. Yeah. As in, like, this is the adult section. <laughs> wow. And they're just nude figures. Yeah. 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 And that, that doesn't really happen for the female form. No. At all. No, not, and never. Yeah. You can have naked, you can have breasts, um, and you can have, like, not graphic uh-huh. um, uh, uh, genitals. Um, you know, I think once you get into the actual flowering mm-hmm. of the genitals, then it becomes a little bit different. Um, and that's when you enter really into great feminist spaces. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite feminist works are, yeah. are just... Vagina. <laughs> I mean, come on. Georgia O'Keeffe was like... <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> How can you not love it? I'm a gay man and I yeah. love it. <laughs> like, look at it. It's a big giant flower. <laughs> I've comments. Do you know Georgia? Yes. Okay, good. I just right. want to make sure. I'm circling back. <laughs> So the dining room at my sorority in college, all Georgia O'Keeffe. No. And we were like, <laughs> the sorority would be like, we can't have anyone in here. <laughs> Why? Sorry, we weren't very art focused. We were just like, well, no, I mean, y'all. Young, young women surrounded by that kind of art? No. No, <laughs> no. it was not the move. So we'd all be at dinner like. Like, are all having formal dinner. Yeah, exactly. Formal dinners, like, can we, can we 
me please? Like, I know she's like our honorary member, but. <laughs> Over your friend's shoulder is an orchid. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, That's man. amazing. That. She has a special place in my heart. <laughs> I think David's amazing. Yes. He, his um, ability to... I'm, I don't give enough credit to artists because I'm so conceptually driven most of the time, but his technique is amazing. It's impeccable. Yeah. Because um, dealing with water and reflection and the figure is difficult. Yeah, and what doesn't come across on Instagram um, is the size of them. They're actually quite substantial paintings. Really? They really are. Um, and and the, his painterly style is so beautiful because when you get up close to them, you can see the underpainting behind each of the colors, right? In between, like the, the little tiny yeah. lines in between all of those ripples show the underpainting. So you can see the layering. Ugh, ugh, I love it, <laughs> right? Like, because that's the thing about like contemporary art today is, is photorealism... People still do it, but it's not it's not the big fine art focus anymore because of photography, because of film. We just don't need it, um, and so it's dying away a little bit. Um, and and but what we do find that is interesting in in the fine art painting section is showing your work, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's like being in school for math again. If you show how you got there, right? Which is why I like yeah. to show the underpieces of the painting. Why I'm not precious about the line or any of those things. I want you to see that it's made with paint and mm-hmm. with paper and with fabric. And I want you to know a human how, made it. Yes, yes. Right. Absolutely. And I that really comes across in person with David's work. So not only are they the beautiful images that you can clearly see online. But they're also masterfully made beautiful images. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I, I look like forward so to much. Uh, seeing his paintings in person. Yes, yeah, same. Like he's definitely on my list yeah. of artists. Yes, and, to see. and I would say if you are looking for art to collect, mm-hmm. this is a really, really great investment um, at this time because his price points are in the couple of thousand dollar range. We're talking like I think twenty five hundred to five thousand, depending on the size of the piece. Don't quote me on that. I think it's around that. Um, but the uh, that w- when you think about a piece of work that you're going to put in your living room that's going to exist there for the rest of your life, a $5,000 investment, what you paid for your couch, is appropriate. Mm-hmm. And especially when it's taken the artist three weeks, like solid mm-hmm. weeks, to make. It's really appropriate. And at that size, I mean, like, it, if I had an extra $3,000 to spend, yeah. I would have one in my living room right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the hardest thing, being an artist, because um, when you get to know other artists, mm-hmm. you just, you really want yes. their piece, and you want, but then you also have those call for entries that you yes. have, and you have yes. your solo yep. shows, yes. and your material, so it's... Yes, my artwork History. takes priority all I, over all does. others. <laughs> <laughs> there. Yes, I I've chosen to spend that three thousand yes. dollars on myself. Yes. <laughs> what if I had an additional? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was what I needed to buy artwork with. <laughs> 
Well, and really, I mean, that is, it, it, it's actually a good point. Um, if you want to be a collector, it's good to start thinking about budgeting for your collections, right? And if you are an artist and it's important that you want to collect other artworks, one, start asking about trade and kind. Lots of artists do it. I do it. But not all do. Um, I'm a big fan because that means that I get something amazing um, and we all feel good about the trade. Can you explain trading kind yeah. of a little bit? So um, trading in kind is when two artists say, I love your work, you take one of my pieces, I'll take one of yours. Um, awesome. And it's finding that that um, kind of comfort place. I see it a lot on Instagram. A lot of the, the queer Instagram artists, there's a whole community, uh, and they, like, literally, we all just paint pictures of each other. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I love your style. Do a self-portrait yeah. of me. And they're like, I love your style, too. Do a self-portrait of me. Okay. That's amazing. Because, you know, there's nothing we'd love more than selfies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I see a lot of that. I, I do a lot of it digitally. Uh, again, it's just a, a very easy, cost-effective practice for me. Um, and I can do a, a lot of them, so it's a good value for someone. Um, and a, a digital work from me, cause if you just want something that's a social sharing size, so under five megabytes, $25. If you want something that's like, uh, that you can print on a poster size, like two by three, or maybe a little bit larger, four by six, um, that I'll sell you for $50. And then you go and print on your own in whatever material you want to and enjoy. And I have a number of commissions have been done at that very, very low price point. Um, I feel great about it. it. It's something that I can do in an hour. Um, and I feel that that is equivalent to the hour that I would have spent at work. Mm -hmm. um, it, so to me, I'm, I'm pleased as an artist to do that. Um, I'm ecstatic <laughs> when somebody says, well, you know, I'd really like you to do a commission in the style that you did that big wall painting in. And I can charge a couple thousand dollars in commission yeah. instead. <laughs> Always better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it also takes two or three weeks yeah. for a work to get finished. Um, you know, there's a lot more material that goes into it. Um, and when I think about pricing, I think about a couple of things. I think about um, largely the size of the work. Uh, I, I go back to math. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I like a formula. I, I typically do um, around 85 cents a square inch for all, across all mediums. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that goes back to I had some very early training in stained glass. Mm -hmm. um, and because that's a craft it's very much controlled by the square inch price okay. point. Um, so it was something I understood. Whereas I feel like when you try to... So I'm prolific. I work pretty fast. So if I were to base things off of time, um, I'd never make any money. Never. Yeah. I'm too fast. Um, and that's not fair to me, right? That, that, yeah. that I have a technical skill and speed. Um, to, that, that means that it undercuts the value. I don't think so. Uh, so. So I base the value on size of materials. And the 85 cent price point is a really good, comfortable price point for me. Um, I feel I get a good return. Uh, typically what that means, I add in the frame. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that plus whatever the framing is. Um, but I typically don't charge a percentage on the frames. I just 
because I'm making the choice and, you know, whatever. I just consider that a neutral cost. Um, but a, a, a piece like these, they'll be around um, 18 to 2100. Um, uh, what are the I size of these? Out. These are three by fours. Three by fours. Yeah. So 36 by 48 inches. Do you find that people are drawn more to larger pieces or smaller? I always love larger pieces, but I don't know if I am odd in that way. I think people, uh, I, I think people respond to pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think people respond to, when people are out purposefully buying art to fill their home, they care about the wall space. Mm-hmm. And that defines what they're looking for. So if you have an area that you know is smaller, you're going to look for smaller pieces. If you have an area that's larger, you'll look for larger pieces. Um, that's just the way I think about yeah art consumption from your everyday consumer your art collector who buys art for the sake of buying art they will buy the art and then fit it into their collection later Mm -hmm. um and and uh, i actually had the real privilege um one of my pieces from last year's show was purchased at its second exhibit um, and they invited me to their home a few months later uh, to so a beautiful home in the mountains above Paso Robles behind two gates longer than a mile driveway sculpture garden wow. um, home by a famous Mexican architect <laughs> right it just keeps adding yeah. up as I'm, I'm like pulling up in my little Honda and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> Am I in the right place? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and their take on art, um, the, and they've been collecting their whole lives, is um, they love art. They've always um, worked closely with art and artists and galleries. Um, and, and it's just something that's always been a part of their lives. And um, they said, we love to buy art when it's something that strikes us as beautiful, engaging, and fits in a price point we can afford, mm. right? And so that piece was under two thousand um, dollars. My takeaway from that was a thousand, um, which is nice. It was a forty percent cut to the gallery that it, it was exhibited mm-hmm. at, uh, and I purposely price points uh, for that, and I purposefully keep all of my prices standard for that, um, just as you guys mentioned in the last episode. So what you what you'll Fist see pump in the air exactly. <laughs> Very um, what you'll see on my website is um, that is the cost of that is the cost of the artwork, the uh, local, state, uh, and city taxes, um, and the cost of shipping is my total price that's listed online uh, for U.S. and Canada. If it's international, it'll add more once you check out. Uh, and those prices stay exactly the same if a piece goes into the gallery, and I remove the piece from my website when it's online, when it's okay. in the gallery space, because the gallery owns the rights to mm-hmm. sell it. Um, and if I were to sell it under them, right, the expectations yeah. become muddy. Yeah. Um, and rather than deal with that, I just separate them. Out. So the boys downstairs are not displayed on my website right okay. now, even though they've been in the current Instagram cycle. Yeah, because they're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I so that price point remains the same. Basically, um, the gallery costs are what I eat in taxes and shipping. 
Okay. Which I don't have to cover when it's in the yeah. gallery. Because the gallery is the taxable institution in that case. I don't pay sales tax mm-hmm. when the gallery has sold it. Um, I just collect my commission. Yeah. <laughs> that is think, such an important point. Yeah, it's a I great love that. example and explanation of best practices. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And that is, number one, consistent pricing mm-hmm. is a best practice. Um, and I don't do like sales. Like mm-hmm. I won't. You won't see a twenty percent off yeah. on my Instagram. Uh, <laughs> not gonna happen. No. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Um, Art shouldn't be on sale. No, right. no, no. <laughs> Even I know um, that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and when you create things like that, then you create an expectation in the buyer that they'll wait for your next sale, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I really want that piece. I'll just wait a year until he has his spring sale yeah. or his studio sale or whatever it is. Um, and, and they'll wait. Um, and you know, the way that businesses get around them is that they inflate their prices, right? So the reason Black Friday works mm-hmm. is because the prices aren't actually yeah. a sale. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the year, it's just way up yeah. higher than it should be. Exactly. <laughs> or really the two months prior, it's just way up mm-hmm. higher than it should be. Well, that's what I love about like people who love outlets. Yeah. Um, they're like, but it's such a great deal. I was like, but it's lower quality goods. Yeah. It's not the same textiles. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Not quite as good as You're buying same. a completely different product. You're buying a different, you're yeah. buying a private label. Yes. Absolutely. Of the brand. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So I think we are literally at two hours and oh a half. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so. Double hours. But this was amazing. It was great. It was <laughs> So amazing. You have my permission to cut it in half. We are not going to get zero percent chance. Uh, anything, we're going to need to have you back on. Fabulous. Yes. I, well, I love the idea. I mean, like, literally love the idea of this show so much. I'm happy to rejoin you again. I, I, I think it's so it's smart the way you've set it up. I love how easy. I love how quick you guys have been going about. I mean, you're just like, oh, we had this idea. Here, Ada. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also i i i think you're right in that there there really wasn't anything like this out there um i did see someone like reached out to me on instagram um with a follow that they're gonna do something i don't know if it'll be similar but it's an art focused podcast as well and i was like oh that's interesting yeah Uh, (laughs) but the um but yeah no it's been like because I care about art, because I care about the art discussion, it's so nice to have something to listen to and to react to while I'm commuting or while I'm taking a walk um, that's on a subject I care about. And I'm learning things. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew's episode was great. <laughs> so good. Phil's episode, the, the idea about um, creative education Duh. Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah. He's so amazing. Cool. <laughs> yeah, he was he's great. Um, but yes, yeah, so happy to come back. Um, maybe next time we'll bring a timer. <laughs> no, no, no. No rules. <laughs> Thank you so much, yes, Ryan. Thank, Thank you. you. And um, for those of you I, I think we said this 
at the beginning, but maybe not. We're on Spotify now. Yeah. Yep. Which is Doing awesome. Big things. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Art World Podcast. Um, or if you're looking for more information, like from episode one, um, go to the Art theartworldpodcast.com dot com yes and we will have everything from chronological order down uh, we're on twitter <laughs> yes. and what else that's it that's it um and review and um subscribe subscribe mash that five mash star button mash it. and you three star I'm still waiting for your review <laughs> I want to know why give me an honest critique <laughs> I went and looked and it's like one three star. <laughs> I just want to know why. Help me improve. <laughs> That's all I want in life, guys. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, and thank we you. love you guys. Yeah. Bye. Bye.